Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, I'll look at why a Boeing 747 landing in Florida stirred up a lot of interest, while Tom will look into the unknown with SAS. Joe will see the crazy reason United Airlines had to temporarily ground its brand new Airbus A321neos while I look at everything going on at One World. Finally, I'll explore some good news for two South Korean airlines. So now you know what's in the store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, 747s, are they even still flying today? <laughs> well, we've been following the story of a particular Boeing 747 for quite some time. Um, this is a 747-300M, which um, was flying for an airline called M Tracer, if I've pronounced that right, um, and previously operated for Mahan Air in um, Iran. And the poor plane has been detained at an airport in Azizia, Buenos Aires, since June. 2022. So at the time, it was flying away to Cordoba, but it couldn't land there due to bad weather. It then wanted to fly to Montevideo in Uruguay for refueling, but was denied the overflight rights by the authorities there and instead diverted to Azizia. The issues began when it became apparent there were 19 crew members on board this cargo flight, mainly Iranians and Venezuelans. (laughs) Venezuelans. Um, The authorities deemed this number to be excessive which I would kind of agree with. It's quite a lot of people for a cargo flight. And suspecting one of the crew to be linked to terrorist terrorist organisations, everyone was detained in Buenos Aires. They were later released. However, all this interest in the plane got the authorities digging deeper. And further investigation into the aircraft's origin revealed it was acquired from an Iranian airline through a triangulation involving a company in the UAE. This was Mahan Air, as we mentioned earlier. And this transaction was clearly in violation of sanctions because Iran is prohibited from trading in US origin goods. Now, Venezuela and Iran both protested the US attempts to seize the aircraft, but in January, a judge ruled the seizure to be legal. The ownership of the aircraft officially transferred to US registry on February the 11th, and just one day later, which is yesterday as the time we're recording, it took off for the first time in over 18 months. I guess they had to do a bit of work to get that plane ready to fly again. Um, but flying under call sign Tyson 23, not quite sure what that was all about. Uh, it left Aziza at around 4.30 in the morning, landing a few hours later at Dade Collier Training and Transition Airport, which is a, a small airport, public airport in the Florida Everglades. The Justice Department confirmed it had arrived, issuing a statement that reads, the Justice Department today completed enforcement of a final order for forfeiture of a US manufactured Boeing 747 cargo plane previously owned by Mahan Air, a sanctioned Iranian airline affiliated with terrorist organisations. As for the future of the airplane, it doesn't look good, I have to say, because all the Justice Department will say is that it will be disposed of. So I should imagine we will see that plane either stripped down for parts or maybe flying out to one of the deserts to rest its wings forevermore. But at least it's not in Buenos Aires anymore. Yeah, I guess there are other uses for a plane as well. Like there's the um, 747 that's used as a diving reef somewhere, I think, Bahrain. Bahrain, yes, um, I'd yeah, love to so. go and do that. <laughs> and there's, of course, the jumbo stay, stay in uh, Sweden, which I'm desperate to go and check out one day. 
Yeah, hopefully it's one of those. But I feel I feel probably the only real losers in this transaction are the people who bought the plane because <laughs> I would imagine that the, the money had already been sent to Iran. I'm not sure how mm. all of the sanctions in this specific case work, but it seems like the only losers are the, the purchasers of the plane. Yeah, <laughs> they've called it theft. And, you know, from their opinion, I can see why that would be the case. But end of the day, a dodgy transaction is a dodgy transaction and they probably should have known better. Mm. Well, I wanted to uh, move back to Europe um, and I wanted to talk about a points plane. And when I say points plane, you're probably thinking of Qantas because I think it calls its um, frequent flyer only flights points planes. Well, more recently, we've also seen British Airways has entered the space with its Avios only flights. Um, but now, you know, Star Alliance's SAS is getting in on things. And the interesting thing is, you know, um, with British Airways and Qantas, they've always said, you know, the plane is going here, the plane is going there. Uh, well, the SAS Destination Unknown trip will see passengers turn up at Copenhagen Airport at around uh, 9 a.m. on the morning of the April 5th. But the catch is they'll have no idea where they're going to be heading. <laughs> The three-day adventure will take them to a mystery destination in the SAS network. And the exciting opportunity has really picked up the imagination of SAS Euro bonus members because over a thousand people signed up within a matter of minutes. And, you know, that's what I thought was quite cool about this story is I only came across it because I was looking at my SAS uh, bonus account and I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Um they do say that it's about a couple of, of a few hours flight time, and you can get in without a visa if you hold a one of the twenty seven passports of the European Union Schengen area. So it's so probably in Europe then. I would imagine it's in Europe, but the question is where. I did dig through um, the flight schedules for SAS from Copenhagen for the 5th of um, April at around 9am and I couldn't see any little hints in there, but I'm going to keep an eye on it because I have a, a little feeling that they might add the flight in at some point to the schedule. Um, but, you know, uh, according to SAS, passengers are going to be given packing trips closer to departure. So, then it will be a bit easier to narrow it down because I guess if you're told to Well, you to need wear... to know at least if you're going somewhere hot or cold, don't yeah. you? <laughs> like if you're wearing shorts, it might be the beach. If you've got to take lock thick coats, maybe you're going to Tromso or somewhere. <laughs> um, but the carrier claims um, that the end destination will only actually be revealed during the flight. So I think this is super exciting. Wow. <laughs> um, so as for the trip itself, the passengers will arrive on April 5th and depart on April 8th. So they've got, uh, they arrive Friday, leave Monday. So four days and three nights. Um, the other interesting thing I thought was cool about this is that um, SAS is putting on uh, activities at the destination, um, whatever it may be. But these are uh, free of charge to the people on the trip. They just have to opt into them. So uh, that's quite a nice little thing. Although I did also read that you can book SAS's partner hotel, which I guess they'll book without telling you what it is. Um, and you have to pay for that. Or if you're feeling really adventurous, you can not book a hotel and just have to book one on the spot wherever you end up. <laughs> it all sounds a bit nerve-wracking to me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I would give it a go, but um, maybe not for how much it costs. Um, the bad news is the registration is only open for 24 hours. So that means that by the time you've listened to this podcast, it will unfortunately be too late, but maybe next time. Um, but, you know, how much did it cost? Well, the trip can only be paid for with euro bonus points and it costs 3,000 points, uh, 30,000 points for the return ticket. 
members who don't have enough points can still register. And if they do win uh, one of the seats on the plane, they will have 24 hours to buy enough points to offset the flight. How much would it cost to buy 30,000 euro bonus points then? I do not know. I will find out by I'll the end of Google the podcast. I'll go Google that while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, for lucky winners, they've got 24 hours to confirm their place via the SAS app. And if they don't confirm it, then the place goes to the next person in line. Um, the selection process is totally random. But if you did sign up for two tickets, then you would either get zero tickets or two tickets. They wouldn't give you uh, one ticket and then you have to leave your wife or husband or whoever at home. Um <laughs> I did find it um, cool as well that we got a comment from the chief commercial officer at SAS, a chap called Paul Verhagen, and he said, I'm thrilled about this innovative concept, and I'm confident that, just like me, a lot of travelers are excited by the idea of an unknown destination. The prospect of embarking on an arduous, uh, adventurous, sorry, and mysterious journey with fellow enthusiasts, finding new connections and friendships along the way is truly exciting. SES equals trust and quality and promises our passengers an adventure that will bring their travel experience to a new level. These are not just trips. These are extraordinary journeys that will stay with you for a lifetime. Okay. <laughs> I find it all quite nerve-wracking, honestly. I'm like a, an over-planner when it comes to travel. And I love to kind of sort out all the things that we'll be doing while we're there and all the things that we'll need and the trains and the hotels and the spa days, you know. And just to not be able to do any of that, I'd be like, that's taken all the fun out of my trip. But I guess not everyone feels that way. I think that could be good, though, because I'm like the type of person that, you know, even reads the airport website to find out uh, where this is, where I can buy a coffee and all this. And I think not knowing where you're going, you can't spend all of this time stressing about the minute things. So mm. maybe it's a blessing in disguise. <laughs> Maybe so. It'll be interesting to see where they go and what the feedback is from the passengers, certainly, and whether that's something that they repeat. We will definitely be keeping an eye on flight radar on yeah, the 5th of April. For sure. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about United Airlines um, because Ooh. they've had a brand new type in service um, for a couple of months now. Um, the A321neo was delivered to the, aircraft, the airline in October last year. And that's not only a new type for that airline, it's it's actually the first Airbus aircraft to be delivered to United in more than 20 years. And it came complete with United's new signature interior, which has snazzy new first class seats, Bluetooth connectivity at every seat, bigger overhead bins and other things like that. They took their first flight on November 30th from Houston to Chicago. And now it's got four of them. And this month it will be flying it on over 290 flights across five routes, all exiting Chicago. So they've added three Florida destinations, which are ideal for escaping from the cold Chicago winter, um, which will be Orlando, Fort Myers and Fort Lauderdale. And as well as that, they're maintaining their service to Las Vegas and Phoenix. By June, there's going to be NEOs on nine routes across the US. Um, so they'll be introducing the planes at their second 
uh, A320 Neo hub, which will be San Francisco in May, and then a third hub, Los Angeles, in June. And the routes that we know that they'll be adding so far include Chicago, Portland, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Chicago, Seattle, as well as maintaining those Florida routes that we mentioned already. But what's really interesting (laughs) and I wanted to talk about today is United had a bit of a problem with the A320 Neo this week. Um, So it turns out they can't turn off the no smoking signs. Now, that shouldn't be an issue given that US airlines haven't allowed passengers to smoke for more than 30 years. I mean, not just US airlines. I don't remember a time when... I don't remember a time ever with people smoking on airplanes. <laughs> yeah, but you're just a baby, Tom. <laughs> well, anyway, the, you know, the, a lot of airlines choose to hardwire the no smoking signs so that they're always illuminated because not smoking on flights is a sensible thing. However, under FAA rules, United requires an exemption for that aircraft in order to operate with the indicator always set to on. They didn't do that with the FAA prior to taking delivery of the aircraft, which is a bit of an over oversight by United and the FAA, I'd say. Um, They did request this exemption in a filing on Monday afternoon. Uh, They noted in the filing that they already hold exemptions for 737, 757, 767 and 777 aircraft, which are all equipped with no smoking passenger information signs hardwired to stay illuminated at all times. But because it's a new aircraft type, it also needs the exemption to be granted, which of course it will get. But You know, still, an airline has introduced an aircraft without the right paperwork in place, which isn't great. So last night, or I think it was yesterday lunchtime, United issued a statement that said, we're removing our five Airbus A320neo from active service while we seek FAA approval for the no smoking sign to remain illuminated. We're working to minimise the disruption for customers and do expect to cover all of today's A321neo flying with other aircraft types. So that was, I guess, around lunchtime. And by 10.30pm, the airline had returned all its A321neos to service. And it issued a follow-up statement that said the FAA had given them permission to keep operating the neos while they evaluated the exemption request. Undoubtedly, they'll get the exemption request. But really, you know, this should be something that you have all your ducks in a row for before you take delivery of a new aircraft type. But, you know, we all forget things and uh, at least they're back in the sky now, but I found it really interesting that this is still a requirement and something that you need the T's dotted and the I's crossed or whatever to to do. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. You know, I would, I'm surprised that it's even needed at all because I'm pretty sure that some of the newer planes even um, have a sort of don't use your device right now instead of a no smoking sign because, um, but who knows, you know, Um, (laughs) we'll we'll have to see if if that ever changes. Um, (laughs) In that little interlude while you were chatting, Joe, I did briefly look to see how much it would cost to buy Euro bonus points. Um, uh-huh. And I was told that I can't buy points because I haven't been in the program long enough and don't okay. have enough points. Um, <laughs> but um, from a brief view of Flyer Talk, it looks like they're quite expensive. So I think it's um, sort of maybe if you needed to top up a few points more than buying the whole 30,000. Um, the whole 30,000. <laughs> yeah. Um, But, you know, speaking of Star Alliance, um, 
and SAS. This week, I'm going to be flying to uh, the Airbus Results Call in Toulouse with Star Alliance. And uh, there's a little teaser that I'm going to speak about that on next week's podcast. But I thought, while we're talking about this, what better topic is there to cover than One World? <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's quite random, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I know. Alliance, Alliance. Um, it's um, one of my worst uh, segues, I think. So, there's a few subtopics that I really thought would be interesting to talk about this week. I thought to start up, we should talk that the airlines turned 25 at the start of the month. So five years ago, there was a huge celebration with every member airline CEO meeting in London. And I remember that even Al- uh, Akbar Al-Baka turned up, which was surprising at the time as he was threatening to withdraw from the alliance over unfair practices, if I recall correctly. Um, but I do recall that he left before the Q&A started to um, potentially to avoid all of those questions. Um, he said, uh, well, it was said there was someone else he needed to be. Well, anyway, this time around, the anniversary was sadly only marked with a press release. Uh, But later in the same week, we got another interesting piece of news, and that is that the Alliance has a new CEO. This is a chap called Nathaniel Piper, who currently serves as the Senior Vice President of Fleet, Finance and Alliance at Alaska Airlines. That last point, Alliance, is particularly interesting, as his LinkedIn said that he was in the role when Alaska Airlines announced its intention to join OneWorld back in 2020. His LinkedIn also reveals that he was previously acted as the Senior Vice President of Global Alliances for Delta Airlines and before that Northwest Airlines. So, you know, he's anything but new to the alliance business. Commenting on his appointment, Piper remarked, in my airline career, I have admired from a admired from afar and now experienced firsthand the influence and benefits of the One World Alliance brings to an airline and its customers. I'm thrilled to join the One World family and look forward to working with all of the best-in-class carriers that are part of the Alliance. The future of the One World Alliance is bright, and I'm ready to continue to develop the Alliance into the next 25 years. But this isn't the only new addition that's expected at the Alliance this year. So for a while, we've known that Oman Air would be joining in 2024. It seems like we've now narrowed down from the potential one-year window to six months, because speaking to our friends over at Executive Traveller, Gerhard Gierkinger, who's the Vice President of Customer Experience, Delivery and Membership of One World, remarked that Oman's flag carrier will hopefully join the alliance in the second half of 2024, so between July and December. But... This really neatly leads into the last point I wanted to make. So where did Gerkinger make these comments? Well, in Seoul, specifically at the Alliance's first in-house lounge opening at Incheon Airport in late January. You may remember ages ago, this was um, slated for Moscow's Domodevo Airport, but then obviously um, that got pushed back. Um, So now they've opened this lounge in Seoul. The lounge is located close to all One World departure gates, and it provides convenient access for premium passengers, offering room for up to 148 customers across 555 square meters, or uh, five um 1973 square feet of space uh, that might be a typo in my maths because uh, that seems to not add up but um if it is let me know um features include mood lighting korean influenced interior design and a mix of seating zones to accommodate passengers needs this lounge is open to emerald and sapphire members of the one world alliance and business and first class passengers on one world flights and it's open from monday to saturday between 4:30 
in the morning and 11.45 at night, but it has a later opening time of 7.30 on Sundays. Commenting on the lounge, Gierkinger remarked, the new One World Lounge is an exciting step in our vision to making Travel Bright. That's interesting because Travel Bright was a brand that they launched at the 20th anniversary that I started talking about um, this section on. And it's really, you know, I would love to be able to sit down and ask a bit more about that because it seemed quite slow so far. The real vision was, you know, you wouldn't even have a British Airways app, um, a Qantas app, a Qatar Airways app. You would just be able to use one app for all of your One World flights. And um, I'd be interested to know if that's still part of it. But anyway, he went on to say, together with Aspire, we've combined refined fixtures and finishes, digital technologies, and warm and ergonomic settings to create smart and memorable travel experiences. Our new Incheon Lounge resets the benchmark for contemporary travel and will serve as the blueprint for future One World lounges in select airports around the world. Now, I can't wait to see which airports those are. <laughs> no rumours then, Tom? <laughs> uh, I've seen some stuff floating about online, yeah. but who knows these days? Yeah, yeah. It's good to see that these um, alliances are opening lounges because Sky hmm. Team opened one that you went to earlier in the year, didn't they? That was the yeah, first that was in alliance Paris. Lounge. Yeah, uh, right. I think they have one in LA, actually, uh, oh, before okay. Paris. But um, yeah, you know, more of these lounges, please. <laughs> Definitely. I love the idea of a combined app as well. I must have so many airline apps on my phone and hmm. I have to try and think who I've booked my flight with to get the boarding pass. But uh, Well, you know, my next... Alliance bugbear is biometrics that I keep pushing Star Alliance on, so (laughs) uh, I can wait for the app. (laughs) Well, I wanted to move over. You mentioned Seoul there, so I'm going to go back to Seoul as well. So um, Korean Air announced in late 2020 it wanted to become the top shareholder of poor old Asiana, which is struggling under mountains of debt. Um, The deal was set to be worth $1.35 billion, so quite a big investment for Korean. They've had a lot of toing and froing with antitrust approvals. But finally, today, Tuesday as we speak, they won their EU antitrust approval to buy Asiana. But the deal did not come without some sacrifices. And those are the bits that are really interesting. So the EU competition enforcer said Korean Air has to divest Asiana's global cargo freighter business. In a statement What does that mean in English? (laughs) They're not allowed to... Yeah, they've got to completely get rid of the cargo business of Asiana. Um, So in the statement, they went into a bit more detail on that. They said the divestment includes freighter aircraft, slots, traffic rights, flight crew, other employees, customer cargo contracts and other things. Um, Korean Air can only implement the acquisition of Asiana following the Commission's approval of a suitable buyer for the cargo divestment. Among other requirements, the buyer must be able and have the incentives to operate the divested business in a viable manner. So, um, This is all about competition. They think that by combining Korean and Asiana's cargo fleets, it will be too dominant. So they want them to give part of that to another company. So it's got some competition. Be interesting to see who buys that. My money's on someone big, maybe FedEx, UPS, could be someone like that. Um, But that's not all they have to do. The other part of the requirements of the EC were that they have to offer slots, traffic rights and aircraft to a budget rival in Korea called Taway for routes to Barcelona, Paris, Rome and Frankfurt. So um, (laughs) Korean Air has to make it possible for Taway to fly to Europe. Taway has never, like, 
indicated it wants to fly to Europe. I mean, there was some talk a couple of years back when they were talking about acquiring more wide-body aircraft that they might look at Europe. But now they have to in order for the Korean Air deal to go through. Well, that could be good news, though, because Asiana used to fly the A380 to Frankfurt. I don't think Tawai's in the market for A380s, Tom, as much as I would love that to be true for your sake. Um, so um, Korean Air has to, um, as I say, include the slots, the traffic rights, access to required aircraft and all the necessary assets so that Tawai can start flights on those four overlap routes. And the deal can only be done once the commission has approved the buyer for the cargo business and Tawai has started operations on these four routes. Now, Tawai does have some wide bodies. It's got three Airbus A330 300s and they could, you know, on paper, do the trip from Seoul to Europe. However, they're really busy already flying to destinations in Asia Pacific, including Singapore and Sydney, and that very, very busy um, Seoul to... Um, I've forgotten the name of it now. It's gone out of my head. There's that very short route that they fly all the wide bodies on that's like the busiest route in the world. And it, I've lost the destination somewhere in my brain. So please fill in the blank if you know better than me. But as no order has been made for any new wide bodies, Korean could be forced to wet lease its capacity to Tawai to meet the terms of approval from the EU. So there's going to be some interesting conversations taking place in Seoul over the coming weeks. Um, but there's still another hurdle for Korean to get over because the EC has now become the second authority to approve the merger this year. Um, Japan's Fair Trade Commission gave its stamp of approval in January, but there is one big hurdle left to jump over, which is the US and its regulatory authority. With the, secure, the approval secured in Europe, Korean Air says that it's going to be focused on its discussions with the US Competition Authority so that it can finalise the merger review process as soon as possible. Um, we don't know at this point if the DOT and Justice Department are going to be happy with this. There were rumours swirling last year that the Justice Department could sue over the merger, fearing it could harm competition on passenger and cargo traffic between South Korea and the United States. If the department does sue, it would be the third time the Biden administration has sued an airline merger. Um, under what it believes to be mon monopolistic practices. So it sued to block JetBlue Airways and Spirit Airlines merger, which it was successful in. And it sued to um, break up the partnership between JetBlue and American Airlines, which it was also successful in. But this is not a US airline. And this would be the first time that the US has tried to stop a merger between two foreign airlines. And I think if they do sue, and if they are successful, it really sets up a precedent that will weigh, you know, it will it will weigh heavy on future mergers all over the world, you know, if the DOT can wade in and stop things happening on the other side of the world. But anyway, we'll wait and see what happens. The US is the final frontier for this huge deal with Korean. Um, we'll just have to bide our time and see what happens. Were you thinking of Jeju? Oh, Seoul Jeju. That's it. Exactly. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Appreciate you from, from my brain fog and uh, yeah, being able to fill in the blanks for me. So anyway, like we say, watch this space and uh, with any luck, we might see Korean and Asiana coming back as a big powerhouse in the coming years, I reckon. Mm. Anyway, I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at editorial at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.